You're listening to Free Association. Tonight, my guest is composer, arranger, trumpeter, band leader, Stephen Bernstein. Maybe best known for his work with the band Sex Mob, which he founded in the mid-90s, with alto saxophonist Brigham Kraus, bassist Tony Shear, and drummer Kenny Wollison. Their new record is called The Hard Way, featuring the work of Scotty Hard, their longtime producer and mixer. We talk about the beginnings of the band Sex Mob, as well as his work with Hal Wilner, Laurie Anderson, and John Lurie, and much, much more. Stay with us. You're listening to Free Association, right here on WZBC. There's so much to go over and we have so little time, but I mean, I just, I was in Florida over the break and I saw, and I had dinner with Matt Gorney. You remember right. him? Right, and I remember. Yes, of course, <laughs> of course. And, and we were reminiscing about the time when I first, we both first met you and I forgot, you've heard this story before, but for our listening audience, it's such an interesting event in my life um, because I, that was the first time I had been to New York City. This is 1996. So I was in my 20s. Um, you know, I had built up a relationship with Sam Rivers over the many years he was in Florida. And so Sam was returning to New York and playing at the Knitting Factory. This is when the Knitting Factory is on Leonard Street. 
And Matt Gorney and I were there. Matt was a friend of mine from Florida. We flew flew up, and I flew into Lagaria. That took the taxi cab right all the way into Manhattan. First time in. Get to the club. You know, I see Sam Rivers play. Tell, tell, tell them what club it is, because that's Knit, part of the story. Knitting Factory, Leonard the Street. Factory. The Knitting uh, Factory. Knitting yeah. Factory, Leonard Street, and and what a what a wild castle that was with all the uh, different floors, you know, and that Michael Dorff had set up and everything. And so after the concert in the main space, and I had just got in, I'd just flown in, you know, and I'd forgotten that Matt was with me there, and we both walked down to the tap room down in the basement and i remember hearing this sound i was like what the hell is that you know and i'll never forget <laughs> this it was like i go in there and it's a long it's a long like basically a hallway with the bar on the left yes. and i see you're down there at the end with a bullhorn i yelling something and then you put down the bullhorn and you started playing what i learned to be the slide trumpet and Brigan was there and Tony Shear and and Kenny Wilson, Brigan Krause on alto saxophone. And it was just incredible. I'd never heard anything like it. We were laughing our asses off the whole time. You know, it was just so outrageous. And, you know, that's when I think we met each other after that. And, you know, I brought you down to Florida. And then ever since then, we've just been, you know, trading stories on facebook and i'd see you in new york sometimes and you know put some shows together here in boston and so it's been this long relationship but but um the new i you know i wanted to play a record off the new uh, track off the new record which is amazing the record called the 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 hard way and can you just talk to people just summarize it's hard to do this in a in a soundbite but summarize for people what what the band sex mob is for people who don't know and and how scott scotty hard and scott harding played such a pivotal role in that in that band so here's the deal 27 years ago i started a band on uh thursday nights we'd play from 11 to 1 in the morning unless it was 11 to 2 at the tap bar and it was michael dorf from the knitting factory had started a, a a little beer room right it was right at the beginning of the tap beer craze in new york and he had this kind of nice going business upstairs where there are always people coming to concerts upstairs every single night. So the idea is keep them, keep them in the club, classic businessman stuff, keep them drinking, got this room. And he said, okay, I'll have you guys play. I'll give you a hundred bucks and beer and, you know, come work out a new project. So I thought oh, that's a great idea. You know, I've been working on the slide trumpet. Now the slide trumpet's an instrument that really nobody plays I mean, there's a person or two that have played in their life, but no one's made like records and toured with it. And it's this instrument I've been playing. It looks like a little trombone, but what it is, it's just a trumpet that doesn't have valves. It just has a slide. And I would have been thinking about a project where I'd only play that instrument so I could figure out how to play it. Because I figured like, what better way to learn to play an instrument they just get in front of people and play it. I mean, that's how people oh. actually learned to play music in the old days. They didn't, yeah, some people went to school, but in general, people picked up an instrument. Once you could play, you started playing gigs. And as you got better, you got better gigs. So anyway, I had this idea for this band. And um, the guy said, Michael Dorsey, well, what's the band called? I said, uh, how about Stephen Bernstein's Slide Trumpet Quartet? He goes, well, well, that sounds like four slide trumpets. 
<laughs> I, I said, and we're just hanging out in the afternoon. You understand? I'm not talking to a businessman. I'm talking to a guy who's my age that I've known since he's had a club, and we're just like hanging in the middle of the day. I mean, you can imagine, right? What kind of mood we're in? And I go, "All right, man. What about what about Sly Mob?" He goes, oh, "That's a cool name." And just because I'm just, we're just two friends, like now, just bull bull whatevering, having a bull session. I go, "Okay, what about Sex Mob?" He goes, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really cool name. And I said, wait, you put that in the paper? Because back then, <laughs> people would buy the Village Voice every week, and you'd look to see who was playing, and that's how New York worked. If you had your name in the paper, that's a good thing. That's right, yeah. Right? And every week, you go get the Village Voice, and you see who was playing at every club. It wasn't like jazz clubs and rock clubs or clubs. It was like everything. You opened it up every club in New York. So I said, okay. Now, I didn't know however, when I was however old I was back then, I guess early 30s, um, that I'd be having a band called Sex Mob when I was 62 years old. Like, this <laughs> is like Thursday night. At, this is a Thursday night gig. So uh, we yeah. start this thing and we don't rehearse. We just play music in front of hmm. people. And it created this, we created this band that I think is, is really unique in the world. And I will say on a historical level, we've been together longer as a court, as a, a band with not with a non-changing crew, than just about any band in history. Mm. I mean, aside from piano trios, I'm talking about bands, you know, with horns, actual bands. Um, so modern jazz quartet, longer. Uh, even the very, you know, because at first they had Conny K, but even when when I mean, first they had Kenny Clark, but even when Conny K joined, but I, there's not really any other bands that stayed with the same four, the same. I mean. You know Same four people. You didn't change out the bass player. <laughs> you know? okay. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Like in the art ensemble, people died. They moved, you know, whatever. They they I don't maybe actually maybe the art ensemble did last twenty seven years with, with the same five with Don. But either way, there's not many. And and it's and the thing is, I always my concept was play songs people know. So we would just play whatever songs and I would always bring a new song to play. And of course you play kind of whatever cool song from the day might be, whether it's a smashing pumpkins or Prince or something people would know. And then cause of the age I am, you know, you got to do some Rolling Stones, some Beatles, like just songs I grew up hearing, you know, when I was a kid, like, a, you know, like um, uh, I would do a, a song by you know, those songs you hear in the Bay area growing up. I don't even, Remember what these the, the Fogarty brothers? What what's that band called? Um, like and, Credence or yeah, Credence. Yeah, you know, you right. a song like that that like you just heard your whole life. You know, yeah. And, uh, you know, so um, Crosby Stills. I mean, I, I guess not Crosby Stills Nash Young. I don't know. Anyway, we did a lot of that stuff. So anyway, that's the band. We've been together twenty seven years, and it's and it's a very unique band. People when people hear it, it's like we have. It's just a certain. It's a certain level of rhythmic and vibrational communication because it's a groove band, basically. But that groove could mean anything. That groove could be a groove that we heard Count Basie do off a radio thing, our, I mean, our version of it. Or it could be our version of, like, some Naya Bingy stuff. Or it could be a groove could be something without a tempo, but it's still going to have a groove. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always yeah. been about a pulsation and a vibration.
when i listened to the record i i kind of forgot how avant-garde the band is it's so out yeah. it sounds like a sunraw almost kind of bordering See, on yeah. on that you know right because you know you understand that language now i'm gonna say yeah. something I try not to say negatives but this is a reality the language i grew up hearing julius hemphill the art ensemble cecil taylor don cherry sunraw just most people haven't heard it or if they do that they have such little they didn't grow up with it firsthand so it's so like there's a tune there called banachek now to me it's a julius hemphill tune i mean it's not a julius mm. hemphill tune but it's in that spirit but all these reviewers they read it and they say banachek which is a tv say it sounds like a 70s tv theme like what what 70s TV theme sounds like this? This, this sounds like Julius Hemphill, bro. It's like, yeah. but they don't know what the table, but they know. So they, they, it's like so funny to me, but you understand where, yeah. under, where, where this is coming from. So yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, play it. Let's listen. Then we can talk. Let, let's listen to that. Yeah. The new record's called The Hard Way. Stephen Bernstein is here. Sex Mob. You're listening to Free Association. Oh, my God. 
so talk to me about uh, Scott Harding because he he has a big role in this record, right? Um, and, and and it's it's really he, unclear when you're listening to it where he fits in. You know, it's all sort of so the mix is so well, interesting. Well, here I'll explain it. First of all, our history with Scott is he produced all of our first records, and he was the one that I mean, we were doing cutouts anyway, but he would on you know and was really instrumental and kind of like, oh, you'd have a song. And when, when you hear the mix, it's like a totally a quick dub, you know? And as you know, remember from me hanging out with Matt Gorney and at the record store and buying Yabba You and all that stuff. I've always yes, loved dub yeah. music since, you know, whatever. So that's, again, part of the language. Part of language count basic. Part of it's Sam Rivers. Part of it's dub music. Part of it's the Beatles. It's all, it's all part of the language. So Scott, most jazz people who engineer, they don't under, use that language. But Scott uses, and he worked with, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan and all kind of Prince Paul. He understands hip-hop language. So this, his last record was really, really good. I mean, I think it might be his only record under his own name, but it's really cool. So I said, man, we let's do a project like that. He said, well, here's what I'll do. I'll send you loops. And so what he did was he sent me 12 pieces of music, some as simple as maybe not simple, but as basic as a, a loop that could even be like a rhythmic noise, right? right? One piece, piece that ended up being Fletcher Henderson was almost like music concrete, except hip hop. It was like eight minutes long and he had a kind of drum machine. He could speed up and slow down. And then I guess he must've created a drum mm. track first. And then, that sample is like the whole song actually has a structure. Wow. Maybe some of it's harmonic, some of it's just sonic. And I wrote so for each piece he sent me, I wrote a piece. So in that case, I wrote an eight minute long piece that went across the whole ping thing. So he could just, you know, start the track and we played live to this eight minute. Track oh, I see. Music. Okay. Most of them were mm. loops. And it could be anything from a four-bar loop with harmony to a one-bar percussion loop to a, a sonic or a, some sort of stuff with multiple things on it. And then I would write a piece to it. And then we record the piece over this loop. Then Scott takes what we recorded and starts cutting it up and moving it around. Wow, wow I see. That's kind of like the uh, the Mission of Burma of jazz. <laughs> mission of Burma is a... Uh, yeah. yeah, the rock quartet here that has a guy named martin swope who kind of he's like the invisible fifth member who 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 does tape loops of the band live as they're playing live and and that that kind of this kind of reminds me of that kind of like a fifth member who's who's you know you're handing in the material then he's doing his own his own uh edits and cuts it's such a such a unique thing right right um, but even the first record the first record, you know, we would do these long jams and then me and Scott would like cut them into like anywhere between a three and a six. Oh, piece. I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, okay. I didn't okay. know it came out of long jams and then it was cut. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Oh yeah. First record. Cause we didn't have arrangements. We used to just play. We didn't have arrangements. We just jammed oh, on see. songs. Okay. Cause it sounds so succinct. Just, like that's a song and that's another song. That's, that's, that's Scott. Scott. Okay. That's Scott. Wow. That's an arrangement. Scott would create these arrangements. I mean, I'd be there with him, but it was his that did That's it. That's in the you cutting know? room. Like that was right. 
yeah that's interesting yeah wow yeah yeah and anyway but this was really taking to another level because that stuff started with us but this started with his loops then we played wow. over it then he created the form. that's 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 fascinating i ran into um i i mentioned this to you on over facebook i meant I ran into Laurie Anderson at this Carnegie Kronos show. We were both performing on that. And of course I brought up sex mob and, and I, I told her the same story. I just told you about meeting, meeting you guys. And I'm, I, so I'm going to be a big years. I haven't seen your thing with her. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing your, your show. Can you describe what you, uh, cause I didn't really talk with her about that. The collaboration you, you've been on tour with Laurie. And I'm really curious what what it what do we have what do I have to look forward to I'm, you know that what how does that work that collaboration are you both are you both writing together or or how is that Here's a story let me tell you uh, can I tell you the whole how it happened and it'll make make sense she yeah she did mention how right so right. I'm wondering if well, he plays into this right? well how plays into everything yeah right so there's nothing right. in my life that doesn't have to do with how right and we're talking about Hal Wilner the the great producer and uh i mean i call uh, it I call, I, I call i call it the long arm of hal wilner because he's still right. giving me gifts from yeah wherever he is that long arm is like reaching down amazing yeah. i mean that's how i met dave your friend dave harrington and that's long arm of hal wilner too right so it was hal's memorial and Lori was rehearsing for and she invented she wanted to play a lou reed tune so i do what i always do chart the tune out hand it to the guys count it off Read through it. Sounds like the Lou Reed record, but you know, better. Um, that's a joke. Don't don't get offended, people. Uh, but it is. Um, um, so Lori goes, "Oh, that's that's great." She goes, "But you know, I, I had an idea, another way I wanted to try to do this." And she goes, I, "I came up with this loop, and you know, she does this stuff where she has a loop on that she triggers with her violin, and mm -hmm. often they're not necessarily in a time signature." I mean, everything's in a time signature, but not necessarily a European one because where it's cut might not necessarily be in a place that is is a, is applied to the one two three four one two three four situation. Right. And yeah, if you got into micro isms of things, you could probably say what it is, but it's just something. So she just starts this loop, Kenny and Tony. They don't think about it; they just start playing along with yeah. it. Yeah. And she starts singing and boom, boom, boom. It's really groovy. And she's like, oh, that's great. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So that was it. You know, it, it really, and Rebo was there too. We really, uh, Lori really knows, you know, she's Lori Anderson. She knows like, okay, these guys can do something. They'll follow me. We don't need to, we don't need to go crazy and try to figure out the beginning and the end. Like, we'll like, we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. She ends up testing positive for COVID. Doesn't, we never. Mm. Oh, wow. A week later, she calls me up. Now, I know Lori, and I've done things with her with Hal, but I never spent that much time with her. You know, she's a very busy person. You know, we'd hung out in Europe a few times. We had some good, but I'm not like I was very close with her. She goes, Steven, she goes, I, she goes I, I keep thinking about it. She goes, I've never had a musical experience. Like, what, what happened? And I said, yeah, well, you know, it's Tony and Kenny are really special, and, you know, right. we've been doing this for 27 years. It's a pretty unique thing. And she goes, do you think you guys would play with me? <laughs> I, I'm like, yeah, Lord, of course. No. <laughs> you love, you would love to play with. Me. She goes, yeah. she goes. Well, they've been re, you know, mastering and re-releasing her 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 records, 
And she said, I've never done anything like this, but I think it might be cool to like revisit some of my old material, like not try to do it the same way, but just revisit it and see what it'd be like to play with you guys. Oh, that's great. Wow. That's what it was. And we got, and wow. I didn't talk to anyone about this. There was no social media. We didn't take pictures. Because mm-hmm. it was really like we would get together and just play. It was like being mm-hmm. in a playpen. But I knew it could also maybe, maybe it wouldn't work. And Lori's the kind of person, you know, she could say, you know what, this is cool, but not really what I want to be doing at this point in my life. Because Lori's got, she's got her, her opera and she's got her museum things and she's got her meeting with the Pope and Joe Biden. And, you know, it's just like NASA, you know, she's <laughs> yeah. got a huge life. And uh, but we would get together every month and play, and every time we played the songs, they'd be different. We'd come up with new stuff because that's the way she is. She's a creator. I mean, my feeling with Lori is she's just constantly creating. Like every moment, she's just creating mm-hmm. something. That's her. That's her like role in life. Anyway, we finally decided to after you know after they announced the tour, and people started going, "Oh my God, you guys are doing this!" And I said, "Lori, you know." I said, we can do whatever you want, but at this point, you might want to think about like how do I want these songs to go. I said, you can do it any way you want. We'll get up there and play. Like that's that's why you hired us. Yeah. Like we don't need to know what you're gonna do. We'll play the song. But she's like, that's a good idea. And we came up and uh, settled on these really cool versions, which are still always different every night. It's not like a hmm. it's not like I want to see the Eagles or something like that. Where like. <laughs> it's not gonna be like that anyway but um but um it's a a show you know yeah almost like it's you know she does her does her stuff which she just taught of course she has a visual element that runs the whole thing right and uh and the great thing is he bring in probably don't know this has been playing guitar for the last 10 plus years i knew that yeah that's great so and doug as you know played guitar so we could go anywhere from like you know two electric guitars and you know I, how I play I have I have an amp so I with a separate mic so I can have a sound that has no acoustic element it's just a sound coming out of the amplifier so we could like totally be playing something with three amplifiers of the sound or it could be bass clarinet baritone sax and alto horn mm, nice. we, have, we have so many colors available. And then that's the show. And that's Sex Mom playing her songs. And we have our, our arrangements and, and we listen to each other and react. And every night it's a little different. And it's really, really cool. And people love it, of course, because Lori, I mean, what's not to love? I told when she was first got nervous at the very end before we went out, I said, Lori, people have been loving Lori Anderson before. <laughs> They've been loving Sex Mom for 27 years. No matter what we do, people are going to love it. Yeah, like let's right. let's get you know, no, we get out there and do it. What's going to happen? That's what it was. We went out there with total trust, and uh, and just did it. And you know, like I said, Lori's always changing things, ideas, moving things here and there. So it's not, it's 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 a living, it's it's a piece we do every night with you know that has a structure, but it's it's a living, it's living, it's always. I living. love that. I love that. Yeah, I mean that makes it so much fun to tour. Right, because you're change. It's changing and evolving every night, right. and it's not like you're just standing back in a horn section, you know, <laughs> playing with the you know Steely Dan or or whatever. Right, you know, this is like a a really super creative, evolving thing. I mean that 
that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of tour you want to be involved. And also, like you said, she's so prolific and always changing. And I can imagine that's something that was important to her too, is it constantly have it, have it constantly change, have it continue to change and, and evolve. You know, I, of course she, I saw an interview with her once with um, on Charlie Rose with um, her and her and Lou Reed <clears throat> and their dog. Right. <clears throat> and it was so great because he, he, you know, I know you, you've, you had a long relationship with Lou Reed and, and it was just so great to see. It was sort of amazing interview. I mean, they, he talked about Andy Warhol and he talked about, and you could see, he just, he loved her so much because she was so, so creative and, and, you know, to have that, to, to hear you say that just, it just kind of cements that, that for me, because he was always, Lou Reed was always so interested in people like Robert Wilson and Andy Warhol, who were just constantly creating all the time, you know, and that's the way she is, you know. I don't know if you know this. You know, there's a Lou Reed track with uh, Ornette soloing in my horn section. Is is that the Raven? Is yeah. that that? Yeah, yeah. I read somewhere Alan Lick told me that they they did a bunch of like he was in the studio. Ornette was in the studio and they did a bunch of different takes. Uh, right yeah. and some some are unreleased and and, oh, yeah. and ornette was like yeah what do you want me to do and he, he and they, all the takes were completely different uh yeah i didn't know that that was with with your horn i guess yeah that's right you you were playing on that record so that yeah, makes sense. i did, I, did yeah. the, I wrote the horns for lou's last three records yeah. that's right yeah so that's kind of cool you know because again it's that typical thing like how it'll always be like yeah, no one even knows that's true like everyone says, <laughs> that's, that sounds like him. Yeah. everyone says they love how but you know no one really paid that much attention to what Hal did. I think, I think, I mean, I, I'm not saying it as bitter graves. I'm just saying like that as reality. Like, cause I did yeah. so much stuff with him. I know it's nobody true. really knows. Nobody I mean, it's nobody really knew all that stuff is so under the radar. Yeah. I, the other, the other uh, event in my, in my life where you, your name came up was two weeks after that. Uh -huh. We had our show at roulette. And who walks up at the merch table, but Elvis Costello. And we got to talking about all manner of subjects. And, and at one point I said, I'd never been to roulette. This is such a cool place. I'd never actually been there. You know, right. I heard about it, but I, I, I was saying, wow, this is such a cool place. And he was like, oh yeah. Last time I was here was to see um, Bernstein's Amarcord, the Hal Wilner thing. I, and I said, oh, that's so great. I would have loved to have seen that I was out of town and, and then we got to start start to talk about how, and I just thought that's the second time your name has come up in, in two weeks. But but talk about how how because I mean that was his first record, Amarcord, right? And I think you were instrumental. You, you were the one who decided to kind of put that together after he passed, which is such a great yeah. a great thing. So how, like I said, everything comes from how. Like how. Here's what happened. So I grew up loving music, and I grew up in a really fertile environment in Berkeley, California. So by the time I was in high school, man, I had seen Ross on Roland Kirk, Sam Rivers. I think I saw Ross on Roland Kirk. I know. I saw Ross on Roland Kirk, Sam Rivers, and Eddie Harris when I was still in junior high. Wow. So by the time I graduated from eighth grade and Oliver Lake, because I remember it was Oliver Lake, it was Lake and Rivers was the double bill. You know, and then we'd be going to see Cecil and the art ensemble. And of course, but of course, I also would go see Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers and Dexter Gordon. And I'd studied with incredible people. And uh, 
And in Berkeley, we heard all kinds of music. You know, there's a lot of Afro-Cuban music, and we didn't call it Afro-Cuban music. We call it, I guess they call it Cubans. You know, because people were really into the congas. There was a whole tradition of, of rumberos in Berkeley. A lot of people, some people know about it. Um, there were Because a couple of Cubans had moved to, to, to the Bay Area, and there was a whole scene between the Black Power Movement and, and Back to Africa and drumming, and it was a big movement of that kind of music. And then, of course, we had, there were a lot of blues musicians that lived Oakland, had a big blues scene, and then, of course, you had John Lee Hooker in San Francisco, and then, you know, the original folk rock, which became rock, you know, the whole uh, Jefferson Airplane, Grateful Dead, Quicksilver, you know, I mean, there was a, and then Sly and then Tower of Power. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was an incredible place to grow up musically. And there were great jazz musicians there. And my my trumpet teacher had like, you know, I, you know, I played on Charles Mingus's very first recording and knew Dizzy and Miles and Bird and had met like, you know, it's incredible. Anyway, but I come home, I think I come home from college. I go to my, my, my friend uh, Cecilia Engelhart's house and her father, Pete Engelhart, makes these all these bells and stuff. You see them on people's drum sets. These sh like these metal crashers and bells. And he's a famous instrument maker and always had the greatest records. And you go there and maybe Ayerto would be hanging out or Les McCann. It was a great house. And anyway, I go by there and he goes, man, Steven, check this out, man. I got this record, man. It's far out. It's going to blow your mind. I'm like, okay, Pete, put it on. And it's the Nina Rota record. It had just come out and Pete had bought it. My friend's dad. And it was just like, I listened to it and I looked at it and it, it's like, you know, when they talk about opening the doors of perception and walking into mm. a door, wow. it was like walking into a door to a world I didn't, a world I could imagine might exist because I knew of all these things, but I had no idea they could all be in one room. So there's like mm. Carl Blay and Jackie Byard and Henry Threadgill and I think like Dave Samuels and you know, Steve Lacey and Blondie and they're playing Italian film music. Yeah. All on one record. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Great. And I go, okay, now I see. And it was like my path lay in front of me. It was my yeah. path. Hmm. That's, that's the world I'm going to live in from now on. That's my world.
And then eventually I do the night music show with Karen Mantler, Carla's daughter. And Hal comes up to me like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been going to see your band Spanish Fly. I like it. Like, you've been coming to see us? Because Spanish Fly, but even be like 10 people behind the we play. <laughs> you know, yeah. we all want to be Hal. No one knew what Hal looked like. You know, it was like, you know, he was like, because at that point, you know, he'd just come off like, the three famous A&M records, you know, which were like big mm. records, like Ringo and Tom Waits and, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever. There were all these huge, you know, Don Fagan and Todd Rundgren, as well as like having Charlie Rouse and, you know, every great Gil Evans. And, you know, it would just be the hippest Sun Rob, the hippest of everything, you know? And uh, he's like, yeah, I really like that brand. Is there everything I could do for you? You know, give me a call. Wow, Al Wilmer just said to me, hmm. this is, I love your band. This is everything I can do for you. And so I started calling him, of course. And, I, <laughs> yeah. and, and I was like, Well, I'm really busy right now. And of course, you know, he would just want to, he'd said, I, He goes, Listen, just, you know, just because I, I like it doesn't mean you could get a record contract, which is true. Like, like, like record executives are actually really scared of Hal because he never had a hit. Like, his records <laughs> right. they sell. So, yeah. you know. So, but he ended up producing this record for us that we did with the Knitting Factory, and that was the start of our relationship, you know. And then mm -hmm. we did, and then Kansas City movie was the one where it really got cemented because Kansas City was a bit of a crisis situation, and I kind of needed to step up and arrange the music. Like Hal didn't think they'd need arrangements; he thought they could like improvise the music. It was just, he had an idea of how this thing could be done, and it that idea wasn't really that didn't really work like the people i could understand how you could think it might work but it didn't and so suddenly it was oh. like oh no we're gonna need arrangements so like every night i'd be like writing arrangements now right yeah he's like you can do this right and i was like uh yeah i've been calling you to say yes yeah right. like cyrus yeah. called cyrus chips like cyrus what what chord is this in the fifth grade? i was like but it worked and i told all the guys in the band i said look we're in this together man and the guys in the band were so good that's the other thing yeah let me tell you something i'm like because i gotta give the shout out to this but nick Payton. nick was is such like i was telling people like nick is like like da vinci or something like that like he's just like smarter than everybody like not smart hmm. what he knows is just on another level about music it's incredible what he knows and he's like thinking about things like so he's like this kid and we had no i mean we have arrangements they're very loose and every tune the ending sounds incredible because nick creates an ending for every tune and, mm. and telegraphs everyone knows how the song is going to end I always think every time I see him, I'm like, Nick, you definitely made me look good, man. Nick, wow, <laughs> you know, that's, that's wild. 
And it led to this really long, beautiful relationship with me and Al. And we did so many incredible things, including like, you know, U2 with the Sun Ra Orchestra and the Sex Mob Orchestra. Like, <laughs> yeah. Six wow. Sex Mob related horn players and five Sun Ra players with, with U2. I mean, I can't even begin to tell all the incredible Hal stories because every, every story with Hal was incredible. I love the Leonard Cohen tribute. That was really amazing. That was, well, that was the one that was so successful. That kind of made Hal realize, like, because he didn't necessarily always want to have an arranger. I think he, I know he loved chaos. (laughs) Yeah. Because because I had my rhythm section and my charts, and these guys knew my language, it was a lot easier to make magic more consistently happen in last minute situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how really wanted the magic, like, you know, anyone who's good can write a good chart and have it play well. I mean, it's fantastic, but how was into way more than just that, you know, which is scary because how was willing to, to fail. And most yeah. people, most people like they don't want a producer who would go like, yeah, well, this really might not work. Like that's Hal's thing. Like this might not yeah. work. This might not work. Yeah. Yeah. So let's yeah. so let's try it. I heard that. I heard that I heard from people on that that it was there was an element of chaos that it could just all fall apart at any oh, yeah. <laughs> any time. Kind oh, of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but everything but Hal wanted that because what that does is that allows things to happen that couldn't happen if you have everything mapped out. That's right. Like you could Absolutely have, you right. everything mapped, mapped out as a professional, and then you say something go, yeah. let's be an arranger, you say goes from here to that's why it's called arranging see it starts here goes here goes here boom 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 you do this enough times there's a science to it you know what works you know what keys work you know what tempos work you know what's safe boom and it's always going to be good you have great musicians but that's not what interested hell what might happen like what might happen well, how did that work with with? Did he say keep the arrangement open or loose or how, <laughs> or he didn't say anything? Yeah, he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. Otherwise. Yeah, he just created an environment where things could happen. He didn't, yeah, I mean, like yeah. he didn't say anything. He would come up to me and say, "Oh, let's try this," or let James open this up for James Carter, or like every once in a while he'd say something to me. But in general, he liked things to unfold. He, just to unfold, yeah, yeah. You write the script. He wrote the script. He said, we do this song, then this song, then this song, then this song. You set the stage. You say, this is this person comes on, then this person comes on, then this person comes on. And after that, if he had something to say, he'd say it. It's not like he didn't have things to say. Yeah. But if there wasn't anything to say, he'd rather, I think, let it unfold and see like what's going to happen. I think I think he was kind of the sequencing and the casting. That was his like I, I I see Nick Cave singing on "I'm Your Man." That that was his contribution, right? I mean, he he would yeah. cast a singer to a song, and he he, he trusted you to handle the arrangement. Yeah, that's my arrangement. I mean, right, that, right. Like, yeah. I wrote the arrangement. He just said yeah. Nick Cave, and I said okay. And I have Sex Mob. It's like what yeah. Sex Mob groove is going to work with Nick Cave? That right. groove, you know? right? Exactly. So it's like I also yeah. tell I tell Kenny, this is the groove. Boom, here we go. If you want a lover, 
But it's not like Hal didn't have suggestions. He did have suggestions. But really, but it wasn't just who did it. It's like when it happened in the show. Like sequencing the, the show. The sequencing of it is huge. Yeah, huge. And that was his magic. Of course, the shows were endless. You know, 13 songs a set. Wow. The shows were like, because the thing about Hal, he could keep, like, I I can't I can't I had to find my own way to do it. But how could keep twenty six songs in his head? Mm. I couldn't. I have wow. to almost go like song by song because I got to keep mm. the little. I need to keep the little elements in control of each song. And he yeah. got twenty six songs. I'd be like, oh, what's the next song? And I had to really, you know, part of it having grace under pressure because you know, I you, you don't know what you're gonna do and you have to believe it's gonna work. And uh, but how new? Like, how could C26, he'd be like, well, you know, <laughs> like, first something out of my eyes. And, I mean, Hal knew more than anybody. You have to understand, when I started talking with Hal on the phone, when we first started working together, I'd keep a piece of paper and a pen next to me because he would constantly be mentioning things I had never heard of. I'd be like, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. I'd be writing yeah. it down. <laughs> and it could yeah. be like a poet. It could be a Japanese movie. It could be an Italian novel. It could be a punk rock band. It could be a Sun Ra piece I've never heard of. It could be, it could be anything. Anything, oh, yeah. Definitely a comedian. Yeah. You know, he used to always say Ernie Kovacs, and I act like I knew who Ernie Kovacs was. Yeah, yeah, Ernie Kovacs. And finally, when they're like, "Who the hell is Ernie?" I, th I thought I knew. I knew they could tell from like it's something to do. Finally, I said, "And this is before the internet, right?" Yeah. There's no internet. Oh, there's like, no internet. That's right. <laughs> no internet, man. I was like, okay, well, who's Ernie Kovacs? Oh, that's so funny. And and then I finally <laughs> I was like, oh, right. Ernie Kovacs is from before my time. It's not like there were Ernie Kovacs reruns on when I in, in the 70s. That was like from hmm. another era. And I think it, a lot of it was regional. I think a lot of Ernie Kovacs was not national. So if you didn't live in the Northeast, you went at a certain time, you really wouldn't know who he was. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw his office. I, I met him a few weeks before he passed away. He, uh, we were doing a record at John Kilgore with, uh, at, with Kronos and he stopped by there and boy, it was just like you said, it was, he was constantly throwing out references. It was like, you know, like you said, it could be a filmmaker. It could be a, it could be a singer. It could be a punk rock band. It could be, you know, a comedian, you know, whatever but his office was so great, you know, it was just full of full of puppets and toys and all kind all manner of it was like a little kids, you know, it was like a ch children's museum, you know. He was hey, he had that sense of uh wonder, you know, that so many other artists I admired, you know, have. So like the Disney record, I went back and listened to that yesterday. I was like, "Wow, man, this this is wild, you know." And it's like you said, not many people still People talk about not many people know these records, right? They're pretty underground, right? Let's just yeah, everything. Hal never had a hit, right? I mean, let me tell you something. You know, Hal got Hal did get a Grammy for the for the Frizzell record on Nonsuch. You know, that. Oh, okay. That's yeah. a by the way. That's a record with Sex Mob on it. That's the one that got the Grammy. All Sex Mob was on that record, but um, you know, he didn't really. You know, everyone's literally, you can imagine, because everyone comes up to me, Al Wilmer's my, you know, all the time I meet people in the music business. Al Wilmer's my hero. I'm like, okay. Um, but I think he was. But I think most people play it better than Hal, the game. Hal wasn't interested in the 
because it's the entertainment business is a, you know, it's about you know, whatever. Either way, we I got to tell uh, another really funny house story, but then I want to get to what you just mentioned something really good. I want to jump on. What are we talking about? That I had seen his office. That I run into his oh, office. Oh, anyway, there was something. Yeah. That yeah. that I wanted to throw in, which is that the last thing Hal did before he died was a video for MTO. And oh, is that right? Wow! Not okay. a lot of people have seen it. It's like I said, not a lot of people have seen it, but it's on. If you look at MTO Angels, that's the la the last thing that Hal did from that office. And mm. when they recreated the office for the Lou Reed ex exhibit, right. One of the records that he sent, he sampled a Jerry Falwell sermon and put it over the song. Wow! Yeah, that's right. Okay, right, and yeah. that's the record you see. That's, that's in the front so of the file. Wild. That was the last thing he was working on when he left his office. And you know what's so funny is he was playing that when I was there. I he was playing some crazy sermon. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was it because that, that was April, eight, late March, twenty twenty. Right. Right. Wow, that's wild, man! And we were—he was cracking up at how like insane this sermon was. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that's why I'm saying that's about how how wants to make me a video. So what does he do? He takes the most insane Jerry Falwell thing <laughs> and puts it on the dog. <laughs> but that's the beauty of how. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last drop. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That is, those of us who are alive and free. Now, what does that mean? Now, what does that mean? No death, no sickness, no sorrow, no need of rest. You won't have to go to bed at night, lock your door. <laughs> Oh, it's great. That's so great. Um, God. Yeah, I mean, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm just so lucky to have uh, have met someone like that because it's being with someone that gives you. I'll tell you what happened when people start dying. Altman died. Lou died. These people are dying. He said, "It's up to us to make art with the same intent as them." Mm. That's heavy, yeah. We need to be our heroes. Yes, we absolutely. Heroes now. And so being with Hal gave me the kind of courage to, to do what I believe in. Because all the people that are my heroes, the Sam Rivers of the world, the Roswell Rudds, the Henry Butlers, the Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Dizzy Gillespie, Don Sherry, these are people who do what they believe. Yeah. you know and that's it's like and i you know and i think that's what i do now i told that's why i'm content i kind of do what i believe in you do what I, you do I, yeah that's what i do i play trumpet i write arrangements and that's it yeah. well i saw the other thing i wanted to mention i saw you on the the painting with john and and you had a long relationship with john lurie and yeah um how does that it looked like there was a scene there where you guys were writing that was really interesting i would have liked to see more of that it sounded like pretty collaborative how does that work with with John? Does he come up with a riff on guitar and then you kind of play not, along? Not, not collaborative. No, John. No, not okay. Hmm. I just I'm I just uh, I'm a transcriber with him. Ah, like he plays okay. stuff and I transcribe it. And my job is hmm. to like get the metronome marking, right? Because John plays, he doesn't see it 
he just sees his music and and I it is collaborative in the sense that sometimes I'll not necessarily edit but say okay this is a section he'll play something I'll might make an if he doesn't like it he'll let me know yeah and in fact at one point he called me that he says uh you're the jitterbug fascist because it was like <laughs> this kind of cool thing he played that I transcribed. And and I, I really liked it. He goes, oh, I hate, I hate that. Pick that out. I'm like, no, John, that's really cool. Goes, it sounds like Jitterbug Waltz. And I'm like, no, that's it. But, but no, don't worry about that, man. It's really cool. And then we played it. And then we played it during the rehearsal. And he was like, I hate that. Take that out. The Jitterbug. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, he goes, I didn't write that. The Jitterbug fascist did. Sometimes he might yeah. even not really play something, but he insinuates it in his playing mm. and i'll make a decision i'll say well that's a phrase mm, i see yeah because i i hear things like someone like john is a very intuitive musician so he plays things but then i you know what i'm saying i be coming from where i'm coming from i say okay that's what you played and that's what all written music is a translation of a sound in someone's head yes that's so right. i'm making a decision like in my head this is what this sound means and we had we had developed a real when we were doing all those movies together really quick because I knew his language so I could say oh he's playing this and this is what this is. always you know he's not like a studio musician it might not come out the same every time so i have to make a decision like okay that that's the rhythm that he needs with these rhythms and, and then but he's also knows exactly what he wants if it's not what he wants he'll tell me he'll tell you yeah yeah right and john yeah. is the opposite of how that way like all the music is in john's head very right? specific <clears throat> right very yeah. specific and and me and doug help him uh, so it's easy to get it recorded like we were we must have recorded like 96 cues in two days it was wow crazy. that's great that's John great. was like how are you gonna be able to do this i said because this is what i do he goes how do you know it? how do you know you won't forget anything i said because i have it on a list and i cross out one when it's done and move on to the next one like he because yeah. he hasn't been doing music this whole time He's it's been, been a long time right yeah that's wild like 
Because when he knew me, I was a kid. And I was like, John, I'm not like some kid anymore, man. I'm like, I've been doing this for a long yeah. time. Like, <laughs> it's like, I, we're talking decades here. You know, I said, yeah. I thought, I said, and at one point I looked at him, I said, John, you know, I was your Trump player 30 years ago, right? He's thinking of you as, that, as, as the, the younger, right. the younger like, kid. Yeah. You know, like the guy who's like yeah. 29 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, oh, that's so great. Wow. Is that music coming out? Or? It's going to come out, and it's really amazing. John wow. is, that's great. John is another one of a kind, man. I mean, obviously, I learned so much from being with, with the Lounges for 10 years. I mean, you know, think about John, a guy who had a career in three different, four different art forms. Four. Wow, yeah. Right? Music, is it film, painting, art. And book. He wrote a book. And He's book. A that's right. That's right. Wild. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Not many people can, can say no. they've done that. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I got to say, I've had this. And then, you know, I have this whole other thing coming from the Levon side. Oh, yes. Right. Of course. So the Levon no, Helm. Yeah. And that, which, of course, Levon, which led to Little Feet, which led to Hot Tuna. Okay. I'm like, with Hot Tuna, like at the Fillmore, playing like electric trumpet and like folk flugelhorn. Nice. And like, again, all the sounds I've ever heard in my life. I kind of having opportunities to manifest them, you know. I love that. I love that. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've had that. I've been fortunate to have been able to sing and play trumpet and arrange and classical and rock and jazz and all these kinds of things. So it's great when you're in the middle of all of it. And and like, but and for both of us, that's who we are. We hear a lot of sounds. Some people don't hear a lot of sounds. They say, these yeah. are the sounds I want to play, and that's the sounds. But you and I are both like, well, I like all the sounds. Yeah, exactly. I like all the sounds. I mean, yeah. you know, if you like them all, then you should just play them. I mean, that's what I think, you know. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm i so glad you came on the show. It's just, you've been such an inspiration to me through all the, it just so, it's so fun to, to watch your, your music and unfold and, and, and see, it's always this, amazing surprise to see what you're going to do next and so I, it's i tell it's you just, what i've done next great can i tell you what i've done next yeah yeah what's coming what's coming up check this out man that's something i've never done before it's the first time it's been announced there's been no public no social media but i've always my whole life wanted to do this make a record playing valve trumpet no mutes no slide huh. no electronics acoustic bass drums wow and I ended up doing it, not, to, it's just valve instruments, but not just valve trumpet. I play the rotary valve flugelhorn. I play this instrument that is the instrument that Miles played on um, Miles Ahead. It's kind of like, it's a mixture of a cornet and a flugelhorn that Martin made. Very uh, kind of different sound. And then nice. a, trumpet. And then a tr- uh, trumpet in G, which is a minor third. <laughs> mm. Wow. And, uh, but it's all, you know, almost like the way, Inspired by Sam, inspired by the way Sam would play tenor and 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 with drums and and acoustic bass, like free melodies with with where you invent the form after the melody. Yes, yeah. And you, and you have I love a, that. Yeah. You have a melody and you have chords on the melody, but then when you improvise, you also improvise the form of your improvisation based mm-hmm. on what you just heard, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I did it with the best guys. I, or my, I said that my favorite guys for that is Nasheed Waitson and Scott Colley. Wow. So that's great. 
That's a solo trumpet. Wait. Solo trumpet. I can't wait to hear that. So it's I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really excited because, like I said, I don't like I said I don't really care if anyone else likes it, but it's something I want to do my whole life. If you want to do, just do it. Yeah, yeah, right. That's the whole thing. If you want to do something. Someone's asked me that why are you making records still? You can't make any money from it. It's like, yeah, I know that. But it's like you, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. If I don't do it, it's not going to get done. That's and, for sure. And you should, yeah. you should next time someone says that to 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 says to you, you can't make any money doing it yet, you can say, Yeah, but I can spend money doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly can. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean it's it's a labor of love and you know, it's like you said, you're creating a body of work, you know, and you put I a pole down and then you can you, it it gives you a way to change direction, and you put another pole down, you change direction, and it, it gives you these these markers, you know. And, and uh, that's what I've seen. And I with just you like well. creating. I mean, that's what I like to do. I know. I've seen my I just, my son is already getting into that. I can see him. He's already like you know started to like chip away at artistic projects. It's like, yep, that's that's you know that's chip so off beautiful. the old block, you know. Kind of. Fantastic, man. Yeah. You know, so beautiful. Now on this show, you're gonna play some more of the record too, because I do want to. I do want to go back to this record because I will say. Yeah. Like it was really cool to put it out on Corbett versus Dempsey. Like that was a dream of mine to have a record on their label, but because they're not in the record business at all, like a lot of people don't really know about this record. Let's play another track off of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe the opening track is a nice, that that's the uh, Fletcher Henderson track. Yeah, that, really so that great. was based that's on a- an eight minute piece that Scott had built. And then we play over, I built a song, uh, basically a four, I think it's a four part composition, like a suite almost that goes through it the different sections oh that's great thanks for coming on man so great to see you i can't wait to see you in person and i know we gotta we gotta um let's meet if we if you're free in knoxville yes let's let's meet in person because it's been way way too long and i called up karen mantler and said karen not only is your singing great but her harmonica playing is so good it's so good right Oh. I said, I said, you're like the Chet Baker of harmonica. You hear one note and you know it's her. Yeah. Like one note. I heard one note. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's the Karen Mantler stuff, man. It's so wild. I didn't even know she played harmonica. She's so good. She's and so- that was the thing. It's like, she said, you know, I play harmonica. I was like, oh, well. And then, you know, we started incorporating that into the record. And it was like, wow. Like you said, also her, her, her voice, you know, you hear that. Her voice and her harmonica playing are, are the same, same very kind of te- you know, te- very, very complimentary. And you instantly, instant vibe. You know, it's like just great. By the way, complimentary. I didn't, I, I didn't say it out here uh, on our podcast, or whatever this is. But your record, I will say for the listening audience, blew my mind. And That's people, great. Yeah. anyone who knows me, knows. Not that I'm critical. It's I'm opinionated. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and i just because i don't like something means it's bad it's just i don't like it yeah. <laughs> you know yeah all i gotta me too. say me too yeah all i gotta say is i heard your record man and i'm so glad i liked it because i loved and beyond liked it i just loved it i loved everything about it i loved huh. the sound of it i loved the way people played i loved the arrangements i loved the sequencing i mean i i loved how the vibrations moved together on the record. It just felt like a, like a really beautiful experience to just sit there and absorb it. Man. So it really made me 
happy answer. Because I was happy that it was you that like yeah. if somebody I didn't like, I'd be like, oh, happy. Okay, that's, that's cool, man. I'm, I'm glad to hear you. That's that makes a, that means a lot coming from you. So thank you for that. Right. Yeah, Knoxville, Knoxville. That's coming up quick. So right. I have your you. Right. You still you, I still you have need- your number. You texted me. I was like, yep, there he is. He's still on my phone. <laughs> so take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.